there is arguably nothing more important than the education of our children and the future for our children. We are at a battle. We are at a moment where we all have to step up. This is the Daily Signal podcast for Monday, November 14th. I'm Rob Bluey. And that was Bridget Ziegler, a member of the Sarasota County School Board in Florida and director of school board programs at the Leadership Institute. Ziegler was among the select few school board members to earn the endorsement of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis this year. It was a novel approach for a governor to endorse school board candidates, but one that paid off big time for conservatives who support education freedom and parental empowerment. Ziegler joins the Daily Signal podcast to talk about her experiences on the school board and how she's leveraging what she's learned to help others through training programs at the Leadership Institute. Stay tuned for our interview after this. This is Mike Howell at the Heritage Foundation. I know how the left and the deep state operate because I've seen it from the inside. When I was working for the Trump administration, I learned how the left made our lives miserable and how they continued to think they could play by their own rules. Well, now we're taking all these tricks and tactics that were deployed against the Trump administration and turning them against the Biden regime. Through the work of the Oversight Project, we're exposing the left for what they are and embarrassing some actors responsible. We're using strategic FOIAs and fearless litigation to force these bureaucrats to deliver documents they prefer to never see the light of day. But for our work to be successful, we need patriots like you to stand with us. You can take action now. Visit heritage.org oversight to learn more. There's no time to waste. We are joined today by Bridget Ziegler, a member of the Sarasota County School Board in Florida and director of school board programs at the Leadership Institute. Bridget, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. You know, long before COVID or the current controversies in public education, you began serving on the Sarasota County School Board. I'm just curious, Bridget, it seems that, you know, for many people, school board elections were an afterthought. And now all of a sudden they've risen to front page news. But you were involved long before uh, many of these current uh, situations really came to light. What motivated you to get involved? Uh, well, so it's interesting. So back in way back in 2014, um, I had just become a new mother. We were newly married. Um, I had an eight month old at the time. Her name is Reagan. Um, I was uh, I worked in commercial insurance and but I was always active in a volunteer capacity for children's advocacy issues as early as high school and on. Uh, my husband's very involved in politics. Um, I followed politics. But like most people, I focused on you know gubernatorial and federal races. Very little time at that my at that time in my life. And I was uh, 31. Did I really look and focus on local politics, which is uh, an oversight that I should have paid attention to more closely. And I know that's what many people are feeling right now. Um, but there was a vacancy on our five member board. And I'll never forget my husband mentioned, came home one day and he said, hey, you should run for school board. And I said, you're insane because <laughs> we have an eight month old. Um, and he said, no, you know, we're raising a family. Education is key. Government takes a long time to work. Um, and this is our opportunity to really put a voice for parents, um, you know, give them a seat at the table. And, you know, I, my parents uh, I live in Sarasota and I are their trusted advisors and mentors to me. And so I remember having a brief conversation with them and my father said, prepare yourself for a lot of scrutiny. But, um, you know, I was like, yeah, it's not going to be that crazy. So, uh, you know, ignorance is a bit of bliss. I jumped off that ledge. And I think even my husband being involved in politics, I don't think he had any sense of how polarizing and how nasty that election would have been. Um, the union, I came out very vocally and didn't realize this was a taboo statement 
statement, but I just came out and my platform was I believe in parental empowerment. I believe in school choice, but I also believe it's imperative that we provide you know, the highest quality public education options for our families. And that was taboo. If, if you know that school choice is like a four letter word in the union world. Um, and then it was on um, this. Uh, the governor at the time, Rick Scott, uh, did appoint me while I was running. So that elevated it a little bit more. But at the short of it, I'll tell you, and I got there, you know, I was 31. I was the youngest elected official to serve on the school board and still think I hold that record. But it was mind boggling to me because I did work in corporate America and worked with lots of boards. And just to see the behavior of my colleagues was shocking to me. And I would come home and tell my husband and or my family or anyone else who would listen, like, you guys wouldn't believe like the antics or how these people behave. And um, and so I remember shortly thereafter, um, the more I saw, the more passionate I got. And I, I have a very strong faith and it's only going stronger as I've gotten older and had a family. And I believe God opened a door and um, I'm so glad I stepped through it. And because I, I believe this has become a, a true calling for me. And I don't mean that to be over virtuous. I just think that, you know, there are a lot of times where it's challenging and it's hard. And sometimes, especially being in the minority on my board uh, for the last two terms until now, thank God, um, you would try to beat your head against the wall and, and say, is this worth it? But, you know, even in a minority position, you can do a lot of good work. I've met some amazing people along the way. Uh, Erica Donald, we affectionate, she's a former school board member in Collier County, Florida, uh, was elected in 2014 as well. We affectionately call ourselves the OGs in this conservative school board movement. Um, and we all have taken different roles. I've still maintained on the school board. Um, Tina Deskovich, uh, co you know, co-founder with Tiffany Justice of Moms for Liberty. So it's fun seeing just this first, I don't know, generation or this first class of conservative outspoken school board members, at least in, in the 2000 era. I know there's many in the 90s, but um, to really see how far we've come, it's mind boggling seeing parental rights being a national discussion when it's something we've been working on for, uh, you know, starting in 2015, really, and then and then really in 2018. And so just overarching aspect of as a parent of young school age children, now I have three, a three, six and uh, nine year old, you realize that these decisions are be that that policymakers on school boards are making have a direct and immediate impact to families. And so often you don't have someone who's a voice for families that's not part of the establishment or the education institution that's really an outsider. Um, and so I'm proud to say I've held that line. I haven't drank the Kool-Aid. I've maintained a distance from, quote unquote, central office so that I could maintain objective. Um and now that we have a majority, so just for the listeners, in Sarasota County is a very conservative county, but for decades we had a you know majority liberal board, and since I've been serving, it was a three-two liberal majority. And then uh, August twenty-third, my third re-election and final re-election on the record for everyone to hear, <laughs> um, we were able to flip the board to a four-one conservative. So I am so excited. We get sworn in um, the next, you know, the, the new school board members get sworn in uh, November 22nd. And, you know, as I tell a lot of people, it's a breath of fresh air, but now the real work begins. Now we have the majority, we have an opportunity to illustrate what a Op, you know, optimal model school board looks like and what they do, how they serve their stakeholders, how they recognize they work for the people and recognize their job is to utilize the taxpayer money uh, from all different kinds of people, whether they have school-aged children, whether they own businesses, what have you, but all are investing in this with the purpose of ensuring every child graduates um, prepared for whatever happens after high school, whether it be college, whether it be trade, whether it be military, uh, whether it be workforce. And so I am incredibly excited, but I do not diminish the real work that, that rests ahead of us. And, and there is quite a bit because 
um, the way, especially with the woke ideology that has absolutely permeated uh, K-12 education, many institutions, um, we have a lot to unwind. I'm grateful for our governor here in Florida and our legislature that put together quality, high, you know, really valuable um, pieces of legislation. But now, as a local school board member, we have to enact that and hold that line. Well, Bridget, thank you for stepping up and your leadership. I, I do have to ask, as a, as a mom yourself, I, I imagine your time is quite limited. I mean, with three <laughs> kids, particularly at the ages that you mentioned, and yet you've decided this is a worthwhile effort. Uh, you're also wearing another hat now, as I mentioned, uh, working with the Leadership Institute as the, as the school board program's director. Why is it valuable to for a parent to make this kind of commitment? And what do you tell others that you're involved in training or, or maybe who are thinking about doing this decision themselves? So it's funny. So I worked in the corporate world and had a pretty high demanding um, job in the in the private sector and still managed with young kids and the school board. And I and people always ask, how much time commitment is the school board? And I say, you know, it's real important work. So it's what you make it. But I invest, I mean, lots of hours reading the budget, reading the contracts. That's my fiduciary responsibility. I swore an oath to do something and I don't take that lightly. But then you really see, I think it's the, the stories and the families and the constituents that you will reach out to you because they hit a roadblock of some sort and then found a way to reach out to, for example, for me, I always try to make my door open as a public servant and you would be able to solve some of them minor, some of them major issues. And every time I would be able to help solve those issues, I would think to myself, how many other families are out there that hit that roadblock and didn't know what that next step is and didn't know how to advocate for their child? Um, as a working mom with many hats, I understand that juggle and that struggle and how what, what a chaotic day looks like just trying to get our kids out the door on time is a struggle for me as is laundry. Um, but I haven't mastered that yet. So, but I think that, um, you see how important this is and to, to make sure that they have a voice, but it's not just that. I mean, I, I, I see it through my children are my why and I'm not doing it. You know, I'm a huge advocate of parental rights and parental responsibility. And what I choose for my child, what my husband and I choose to, how we choose to raise them, um, it, it does not, um, in you know, belittle or take away how another family chooses to raise their child. So when I say my my children are my why. They are my why because it's not just them, it's their entire generation. It's their opportunity to leave them with a better tomorrow for their future to be successful, for their country to be, you know, rooted in the principles that was founded upon, which we see, you know, getting eroded every single day. And I believe we're so fortunate to to live in this amazing country. Um, I think I live in the greatest state in the country. Um, and I think it's worth fighting for because you see that, you know, people before us fought and gave their lives for the freedoms that we have. Um, and I believe so much of this starts in education and I am um, committed to it. And so anyone who's thinking about it, there's a million ways you could to probably tell yourself you can't, um, well, you, you probably talk yourself out of it. And when I talk to candidates, I'm always, you know, I'm very transparent, but, uh, and sometimes I feel like I'm like, I'm not trying to talk you out of it, but you know, I, what I tell everyone is, listen, certainly running for office, win or lose, you learn so much about yourself and so much about other people. It's an amazing journey. Obviously, you go for the win. But at the end of the day, win or lose, it, it is a worthwhile effort. And and then the other part is so many people will find a reason why they can't. But 
like I said, I stepped off that ledge and I didn't really give myself too much time. We didn't have much time to make that decision. I think it was like a 24 to 48 hour time period. So I didn't have the opportunity to really talk myself out of it. It was blindly jumping off. But I think what I, even myself, I'm proud to say that I surprised myself. And I think largely every single person, no matter what your circumstance is, when you take a leap of faith, you will guaranteed surprise yourself because especially if you are passionate about it, and I can't think of anything more um, that that drives people when it comes to the, you know, their children, the future of our communities and our country. Um, And that, that drive is, is, is powerful. And so to me, translating what I have learned, my experiences, the arrows and the thick skin, the arrows in my back and the thick skin that I have, which it's taken, you know, I think it was the first article really is after I cried in the shower because it was ugly and a horrible article. And it was 2014. But after that, you just dust yourself off. And you're like, all right, bring it on. This is worth fighting for. And I have many moments like that. But I tell everyone that, listen, there is arguably nothing more important than the education of our children and the future for our children as we look at the future of this country. And this is, we are at a battle. We are at a moment where we all have to step up. Um, We can't be complacent and hope somebody else does it for us. We all play a role that looks like different things, whether it be activism in the grassroots standpoint, whether it be helping a campaign, whether it be running for office. And so when I look at the Leadership Institute, I was so excited um, for that opportunity. I left the insurance world completely and jumped in full steam ahead, full all school board piece, um, because I believe in it and I believe it requires this level of investment of time and focus and believe that I have a lot to share based on the journey that I've experienced and that um, people can learn from that. And then together we can work towards you know, county by county, district by district, um, making that impact and, and you know, what we call writing the ship. And listen, the left has been at this for decades. Um, and people need to understand this isn't going to be a quick, quick flip of anything. We need to invest our time, invest our mind and understand what that it's worth fighting for and that we have to be in it for the long haul. But Leadership Institute has the tools to train them. And like I said, on the activist piece, on the campaign standpoint, and also when you're a newly elected school board member, which is the part I'm so excited about because there really is arguably nothing else compared to um, you know, the National School Board Association, which has a monopoly on the training for elected officials across the country. Um, and then you have organizations like Heritage that provide valuable resources Um when it comes to policy and such. So together and that collaboration, we can really make a powerful impact. And it really, it comes down to the future and the, the, the direction of our country. So if you can't tell, I'm incredibly passionate about it. <laughs> oh, I, I can, I can tell. And we appreciate that passion. And, and I hope, I hope that our listeners uh, find it, you know, uh, motivating for themselves to get involved, whether they're a grandparent or a parent or somebody who's wants to contribute to their community in some ways to follow you, the example that you've set and and Moms for Liberty has set and Leadership Institute and others uh, and, and follow that path. Um, before we before we come back to LA, I want you to talk a little bit about some of the trainings you're doing. I want to go back to some of the issues that you've worked on there in Sarasota County, because it, it seems that, you know, you, you've talked about things of, of transparency and just good governance and, and, and you know, fiscal responsibility, but also, I mean, you've you've been an outspoken critic of some of the indoctrination tactics we've seen, not just there, but across the country in, in terms of uh, our kids' education, and maybe related to gender, maybe related to, to critical race theory. Are, are those issues popping up in, in your school district, and what have you done about them? 
Oh, absolutely. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. So I, I'm, an, I'm a policy nerd and um, and I particularly don't like the politics. Uh, I'll tell you, it's taken some time to kind of stomach it. It's still sometimes challenging, but it, it comes with the territory and having to figure out how to navigate that. And what I and I think a lot of people get kind of frustrated with the the, envi- the political environment. And, and even that's even before the current moment. I mean, that's always just leaves a bad taste in some people's mouths. Um, but you also have to look at it as to what you're fighting for. And you don't have to sacrifice your morals or your values. I certainly believe that I, uh, you know, I report to one person at the end of the day, and I want to feel good about the decisions I've made. It doesn't mean I'm perfect. Doesn't mean I'll make mistakes. But you know, there aren't always super easy issues that you. There's a very clear, deter, you know. Uh, discernment of which 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 is the right path, and you just try to evaluate it as best as possible. But I believe so dearly in go- the governance structure that you are a public servant, and I hold those very those foundational principles that I believe in limited government. I believe in the value and the importance of the nuclear family, and that um, that parents do in fact are the primary decision makers for their minor children, and that government does not know better. For than parents. And you see in these K-12 environments the gross overreach. And I think a lot of it maybe was got, you know, masked as well-intended programs or what have you. But, you know, as our governor in Florida has said, you know, a lot of these are a Trojan horse for Marxist cultural um, cultural Marxism. And I know that sound, and I, I go back to the story back in a couple years ago where you'd hear people come to public comment and say, you know, this is Marxist. And I remember being like, oh, I don't know. And then I started to do a lot more research on my own because I wanted to make sure I really understood what other people, where they were coming from. And and, and I don't leave it to other people to, to tell me what to think. I have to take it upon myself to do my research. And I really was blown away. But that was even just two or three years ago. It was this journey un- unexpectedly started with um, the transgender piece. And I will be very clear. I'm not anti anything. I am very, again, I, I, I border on libertarian when it comes to certain things, but when we're talking about minor children, there's a very different ballgame. And as a public education institution, a government body, um, I believe that we uh, have to celebrate the diverse community that we serve, but respect the diverse community that we serve and understand that there's a, a variety of different um, religious beliefs, cultural backgrounds, political beliefs. And so it is not appropriate for a government institution to promote or push any of those. And that's what we're seeing. But what was more daring, alarming to me was that they used the LGBTQ trans in specific, um, you know, marginalized population, as they'll call it, um, to get into people's psyche and make, you know, drive, pull at their emotional heartstrings, then to create this division and this narrative, a narrative as school is safe, home is dangerous. And they use child welfare as their kind of playbook um, because, yeah, there are families that are parents that have made horrible decisions and have, and no child deserves, I don't care what, deserves to be in an environment where they're being neglected or abused, period. And we have laws on the book in every state that um, already addresses that. Is the child welfare system perfect? No, by no means. And it actually does require a lot more work um, in an area that I will continue to focus on. But that doesn't mean that as a policymaker, we we hand over those rights because there is a percentage or a small percentage of people that choose to do things and do harm. We need to be able to respond to those, but we also don't just completely hand over or sacrifice the rights of families and parents. And what you're seeing over years was this barrier that was intentional to shut parents parents out. And for an education, academic institution, it's counterproductive to our mission, which is academic excellence, because the number one, um, uh, the number one, uh, uh, 
piece of, um, I'm trying to think of it, like bullet point that makes a has, a, has the most significant impact on a child's academic success is parental involvement. Second to that is the quality of their teacher. Now, socioeconomic status layers over that does have some implications, but far and above, and I don't care what, you know, white paper, what organization did the study, it's far right, left, center, all over the place consistently will tell you that the number one indication or uh, indicator of a child's academic success is parental involvement. So why would a public education institution be promoting any kind of guidelines or policies or working with organizations that are intentionally creating barriers um, for families to be involved in their minor child's um, education or major decisions. And that's when I saw it with the the gender diverse guidelines that there was just this one line in it that said it's up to the student, the student alone, uh, that it has the right to determine what gender and pronoun and facility uses that they so choose to use. And it forbade for it prevented uh, staff from uh, reaching out or sharing any of this information with their, uh, their, their student's child. So these are minor children and we're talking about major issues. I'm not talking about sexual orientation. I'm talking about changing your name, changing your facility usage, using mental health counseling, and potentially even going as far as gender transitioning, um, or using third party organizations to promote that. And, um, you know, at that time it was kind of early on, I didn't realize it was as, um, the depth of it across the nation at that time, this was in 2017, uh, 2018 is when I made a motion. I forced the vote because they do them by, by way of guidelines, and this is across the country. So this playbook is used everywhere, and more and more people are seeing it. But uh, you have organizations like Human Rights Campaign, Equality Florida in Florida. They have Equality, you know, name the state all over the country, um, that provide, they lobby school board associations, school board members, and superintendents on how to, the, how to do this. And they say do it under the guise of guidelines so that it circumvents the public, it circumvents the scrutiny, um, you know, change your anti-discrimination policy to include gender uh, identity. And there you go. There's your there's your pathway to this. Uh, we're seeing the same thing with CRT and it comes to equity committees and equity policies, the same playbooks being used, but it's all an intent to create a division and cut families out um, and also has devastating impacts. So at that time, when I forced a vote, I made an amendment to at least require notification. I wanted consent, but my first step was to make a motion to require parental notification and it failed three to two. Um, and I just couldn't believe it. And I said, you know, this is this government body that thinks that they're saying that they know better. And there is no litmus test to, to, to you know, discern what is a quote unquote bad parent. That's a judicial term, by the way. Um, we are, we, there was no guiding force there. And that's a very dangerous, slippery slope. And again, that was however, five years ago. And we see how far it's gone and we see how deep it is across the country. And this is the stuff that gets my hair like up on its end because this is infuriating. It's just, it's egregious. It's a total exploitation of our public education system. It's a total exploitation of our, you know, children, young, impressionable minds, their captive audience, and it's being exploited and it's ex being exploited for harm. And people now thankfully are speaking up. And again, I have to applaud. I'm a big fan of my governor, if you can't tell, Governor DeSantis, but it's so refreshing to see someone at that level, that stature, that popularity to boldly speak up about these things because you know, there are fellow conservatives that I would beg to at certain levels to, to raise issues and bring this forward. I mean, when we wrote the Parents' Bill of Rights in Florida um, in 2018, filed that bill, it took three legislative sessions to pass. Um, but there were even that time um, num members who were, you know, quote unquote conservative that were uncomfortable taking this on. And because I don't think they understood it. And I think, again, they didn't want to be called all the names that I've been called, of which I'm none of them. Um, but, you know, now we see 
see that's their playbook. They do that to shut people down. Um, and we've got to fight because this is, we are seeing the catastrophic um, outcomes that's having on young children, particularly young females. And it's so wrong. And I believe I'm a big Ben Shapiro fan. And I, uh, I think like the way Matt Walsh and Shapiro are speaking out about this stuff, they're right. We're going to look back and, and in, in a decade or so and, and just say, what in God's name where was the moral fabric or just the common sense of the majority of our country that isn't willing to stand up and fight and protect our children? So, you know, that's a long winded answer, but it goes into that. That playbook is being used across the country and it's not being used just only for gender ideology, although that is going fast and furiously. And I think it's grossly misunderstood, but the media doesn't really do any favors because they 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 spin it to, you know, using the tagline, don't say gay, which had nothing to do with that legislation, as you know. So, you know, that's the kind of battle we're in for. But the more we do and more we work at the grassroots level, um, the more people know, listen, the media has like a lower approval rating than Congress. Um, they know when they're involved for the first time that these articles are just blatantly inaccurate. Um, and that's where that's the kind of work we need to be doing every day. And that's the kind of work, like I say, pivot over to Leadership Institute or Moms for Liberty or organizations that are grassroots organizations across the country are doing and doing a great job to help raise awareness to this and help um, find, you know, help these families and parents and concerned citizens, you know, understand how best to advocate and fight back so that we can restore education and we can protect our uh, children. Well, thank you for having the courage to to do that and 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 train and educate others on, on ways that they can go about doing that in their own communities. Of course, Florida has a, a great foundation. The Heritage Foundation recently came out with our Education Freedom Report card and ranked Florida number one in the nation out of all 50 states, uh, in part because of some of the, the measures that uh, you've just talked about there. So uh, congratulations on the success that you're having in your state. I, Bridget, I, I want to leave you uh, with one final word here to talk about the Leadership Institute. Uh, what is coming up in terms of the way of training and ways that uh, people who are listening to this podcast can get involved. Absolutely. So I, again, I'm so honored and so excited to be a part of the Leadership Institute, which um, has such a strong reputation in the conservative movement. Um, and, you know, what I think I appreciate so much about them is that they're not in it for, you know, a short term, you know, whatever, whatever the nouveau item of the day is. They're in it for the long term because um, they understand that this country and the principles of this country was founded on are worth fighting for and protecting. And education is paramount to this. Um, so it's an honor to be able to do the training. And so, like I said, um, you know, we, we provide, we have online on-demand training. There's going to be some more updates to that. Um, I have, uh, since I've come on board in July of this year, um, there is a lot of work to be done. So there's a lot of demand across the country, which is so inspiring and so exciting. So I do everything from live trainings to um, live webinars. We're doing a crash course December 10th in Sarasota, Florida. Um, that's where I'm out of. And we're, um, you know, you'll see a lot of trainings uh, take place at kind of the hub in, in Florida will be Sarasota for LI. Um, but then to utilize that as a model, uh, we'll be doing that across the country. So we'll be using this one day training for new school board members so that, you know, the goal is that you transfer from campaigning to governing. And that does take a bit of a um, a mindset flip. And so now it's now what, and, you know, I just won this election. I just worked my rear end off and now what, and now it comes to governing. And it's so important to have, um, the training from a conservative perspective, because when I first got elected, the only training was, you know, the national school board associations, local chapter of the Florida school board association. And the first thing they tell you is your job is to protect the superintendent and, you know, support public schools. 
Well, that's a part of it, but no, your job is oversight and accountability for the stakeholders to ensure that we're providing high quality academics outcomes for every child. Like that's, that's our job, not to be a cheerleader. You can do that if things are being done the right way, but there's a lot of things about how the you know, governance structure, the budget process, uh, collective bargaining, public records laws, um, Robert's rules of order. I mean, I'm just giving a quick high level of what we'll be training on so that, you know, that our conservative school board members who worked so hard to get elective have the tools to hold that line. And then we'll dive deeper. So that's kind of the one day crash course. We'll have online um, items in each area subchapter to dive deeper. And then we'll also be doing mini conferences regionally. Uh, like I said, in Florida, it'll be in February. So keep an eye out for that. It'll be a two day conference where we have different media training and breakout sessions and policy partners that'll come in and share those different topics so that we can continuously work together and strengthen um, our, you know, our conservative school board members and also the activists and candidates that are thinking about running. So you have the tools so you can step uh, off that ledge and hold that line because we have to work together in order to, to really change the course of education and direction of this country. So you can find me at um, on Twitter at Bridget A. Ziegler. Uh, you can also email me at bziegler at leadershipinstitute.org. I know that's a mouthful and it's Z-I-E-G-L-E-R. Um, and please reach out to me anyway. I, I, I do customized trainings. I have people reaching out to me of all sorts. Um, and we'll figure out you know what that audience looks like. Is it mostly uh, candidates or people thinking about being candidates? So we'll do you know activism slash campaign training. And then the new school board uh, member training is something I arguably am most excited about because that is a massive void and we are able to fill it and I couldn't be more excited to help um, help our fellow conservatives uh, be empowered, be knowledgeable, understand how the system, and I mean quote unquote true system, <laughs> works and how uh, they can best hold that line. And I'm very, very honored to have this opportunity. Well, Bridget, we're grateful that you're doing it. We'll be sure to provide a link for all our listeners if they want to log on to DailySignal.com and, and view the transcript of this interview and also the show notes of this podcast. Uh, we'll provide the link there to the Leadership Institute trainings and, uh, and of course, uh, to follow you on social media as well. Bridget, we wish you the best of luck as you embark on this new makeup of the school board where conservatives will have a majority there. And uh, it is exciting times, certainly there in Florida and across the country as more and more parents step up uh, for these important roles and hopefully uh, reclaim our schools and, and put the focus back uh, where it should be. Absolutely. It's an honor. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And please reach out to me. Um, and I'll keep, continue to keep you guys posted because we have a lot of work ahead of us, but we're at an amazing momentum is happening right now and we need to seize it. Thank you, Bridget. Thank you. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. If you haven't had a chance, be sure to check out our evening show right here in this podcast feed, where we bring you the top news of the day. Also, make sure you subscribe to The Daily Signal wherever you get your podcasts. And help us reach more listeners by leaving a five-star rating and review. We read all of your feedback. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day. We'll be back with you all for our 5 p.m. Top News Edition. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. Executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen, Samantha Asheris, and Jillian Richards. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. To learn more, please visit DailySignal.com.